Father, we just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We come to you, Father. We surrender our bodies, our minds, our entire being into thy hands. A God who can sanctify our spirit, soul, and body and keep us blameless till the hour of the Lord's coming. That's your promise of God in the word to you, Father. The shepherd of our souls we surrender, even this morning. Help us to be still in your presence. Help us to cast aside everything that concerns life. Help us to hear your voice. Help us, Lord. Help us, Father. Help us. For you alone have the words of life. Speak to us this morning. Speak to us. Prepare us. Strengthen us. Through your word. Through your spirit. And later through, when we partake the elements of your body and blood that were shed for us, strengthen us through it all, O oh Father. That when the day of evil comes, your people will stand. And when it is all over, your people will still be found standing in victory, Lord. That's the purpose, Lord. For your word says you lead us continually in victory, in triumph in Christ Jesus, O oh Lord. Help us to believe. Help us to obey. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay, let's just take a few minutes to recap. Last Sunday, if you were here and if you listened to the message, which is available online, we saw the bane, the curse of prayerlessness. The title of the message was Born Again, but Atheists. People who really don't pray. When we are called to pray, because Jesus said, my house, that's what we are. The people of God is his house. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, communication constantly with the living God. He had said in his word what the children sang today, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray. The reason is, why does God say it's, the, it's only the humble who can really pray? Genuine prayer. It's the only the humble who can genuinely, really pray. I'm not talking about a prayer which is there in every religion. I'm talking about genuine prayer because only the humble can pray like that. Because humility is a sign of dependency. I need you, Lord. I cannot do without you. Humility is a sign of dependency. And the humble actually pray because prayer is one of the symbols, signs in your life that you are dependent upon God. And the more dependent upon, it actually shows in your prayer life. That's why on the Sermon on the Mount, the first blessing Jesus pronounced over people was in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We say righteousness, peace and joy for that's the king in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. We quote these verses. We say that Paul said and we believe that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. All this is written. But he said the kingdom of God belongs to those who are poor in the spirit. That's why they are blessed. Poor in the spirit. 
And how do I know I am poor in the spirit? We all would, like I said, we all would love to believe when we stand before Jesus that we are poor in the spirit. We are humble and our prayers were like sweet smelling aroma in his nostril. We, we, we imagine, dream, fantasize all these things. He says you don't have to live in a fantasy world. You can know. You can know. The things of God can be known. If God can be known, then the things of God can be known. How do we, how does one know whether he or she is Poor in the spirit of God. Simple. It will be marked out by our word life and our prayer life. Both. Not one alone. Word life alone. Word life alone. Is without surrender, submission to the will of God. That's the word of faith movement. It is just claiming, naming. That's they're pretty strong in the word life, selective in their word life. They only know promises. They don't know the, the attachments to the promises. You see, you said male with attachment. Actually, the attachment is more important than the male. But they know the male, but they don't know the attachment. Every blessing in the Bible is connected to something which you are called to obey. So you can be very strong in your word life and absolutely poor, weak, not poor, weak in your prayer life. And uh, it doesn't work. Prayer alone also is not enough. You can be extremely praying person, but it is submission without knowing the will of God. Okay? Submission without knowing the will of God. That alone is not enough. Because scripture is very clear. We need to have the word, which is the will of God. And we need to have prayer, which is submission to the will of God. These two shows whether we are poor in the spirit of God. How much dependent are we on the word of God that we really surrender and seek the direction of God from the word of God. Because scripture says, behold, I have a body you have prepared for me. Behold, I have come to do your will. In the volume of your book, it is written about me. Not only about Jesus Christ, but also his body. What we need to do is written here in the volume of this book from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. Every verse is the revealed will of God. How much surrendered am I to knowing the will of God through the word? How much am I surrendered in prayer saying, Lord, I need power. I need strength to obey your will. That shows whether we are really poor in the spirit or not. Not that you don't have money in your pocket, nothing in your bank and you walk around saying, I am poor in the spirit. So when I I die, the kingdom of God is mine. God says, no, you have no space there because you had no money because you are foolish. Because you were foolish. That's why you didn't have money. Why? Because scripture says, I was young. I am old. I've never seen the righteous beg bread. Never seen. You shall be a lender, not a borrower. That's what scripture says. God's people lend. They don't borrow. Okay? Take a housing loan to save on income tax. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying about we don't borrow. We lend. Okay? And that alone is not enough. There is a third ingredient of poverty in the spirit, which Paul will say in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. He will talk about how we need to be anxious for nothing. Okay? Once you have word and prayer, 
this goes. This actually goes. Anxiety goes for nothing. But in everything by prayer, we start genuinely depending upon God and supplication with thanksgiving. The poor in the spirit are always grateful to God, even for the littlest things. Because they know God owes me nothing. I owe him everything. Everything. You and I can never be thankful enough. You and I can never repay him. And that itself, that gratitude to God itself becomes the basis of our service. Why do we serve him? Because my heart is full of thanksgiving. I'm not in this, O Lord, for a salary. I'm not here, Lord, for pension benefits. I'm not here in for health insurance. I'm not here for anything, O Lord. I'm here because I'm grateful for what you have done for me. That is the basis of our service. That's how the first epistle begins. Romans 1.1 begins by saying, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Go and study the old covenant. What is the difference between a servant and a bond servant? A bond servant is a servant who is free to go and live his own life. But he says, I love you so much, my master. I'm so grateful to you for how you have looked after me all these years. I don't want to leave you and lead my own life. I surrender my life to you. I want to serve you as a slave all my life out of thanksgiving. That's how it begins. Gratitude, thanksgiving is the reason why we serve God and nothing else. That is the primary reason. That will guard our hearts from offense. That will guard our hearts from offense because a lot of people get offended in the service of God. All of us, there is no secular job for God's people. All are in the kingdom. All are servants of God. Otherwise, Paul should have been one of the most offended of his servants because unlike most of the others, he left and lost everything in the single-minded pursuit of Christ and serving Christ. His entire life was marked by a service of thanksgiving. That's how he saw his life. At the end of his life, he uses an old covenant imagery of sacrifices, old covenant Levitical imagery in Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. This is what he says about his life. I didn't give it. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. That's how they did it in the Old Testament. There were meat offerings and there were drink offerings. The drink offerings were brought and poured before the Lord, signifying that's your life. But this man was not pouring a drink offering. He said, I have poured my life in thanksgiving to you as a drink offering. Okay? So, that's how Our life should be defined. That's how we look and check the poverty of our spirit. Am I really poor in the spirit? Do I really have the hope that one day when I die and I stand before God, God can say, yes, take authority in my kingdom. That's what it means. Yours is the kingdom of God. Because I learned of the spirit how to be truly poor in the spirit. Now we'll come to part two, because last time we saw the sin of prayerlessness. God's people who are called to pray, do not pray. Their prayer life is so tiny, so small, it is practically ineffective. 
ineffective. This nation is being taken over by powers of darkness. Don't blame the people. Blame the church because it's a totally prayerless, ineffective church for 2,000 years which has been able to do nothing against the powers of darkness. Not people, powers of darkness. When authority has been given to the church, behold, I give you all power over the power of the enemy. You shall trample upon snakes and scorpions. They shall have no power over you. Even God of peace shall soon crush Satan under your feet. All these promises are there. But a prayerless people have no effect over powers of darkness. There, The gospel has been constrained in this nation. God will not blame the people. God will not blame the governments. God will look at the church and say, my church doesn't pray. The sin of prayerlessness. So last week we looked at James chapter 4 verses 1 to 3. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. He says the reason behind every conflict in every life and every home is because we don't go to God. We go to man. That's how conflicts begin. You're full of conflict inside and there's full of conflict in our homes because we do not have. And why don't we have? Because we don't ask God. We ask the wrong person. We don't ask God. Okay, That's what we looked at. it. If only we went to God first. If only we went to God first with all our requests and tarried before God till we got an answer before we opened our mouths to man. How peaceful lives would be. God wants to bless us. Yes, God wants to bless us. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to reveal his mind to us. And he invites, personally through scripture, invites every child of his to the very throne room of grace. And he says, you do not have, because you do not ask. You do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. So ask, learn to ask. Then, verse 3. Will you go to verse 3? You ask and do not receive. Now that's the second problem. For those who ask. You ask, but you do not receive. Because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. First, you do not have, because you do not ask. Then you ask, and you do not receive. Okay, today we are looking at the second part. We ask, but we don't receive. How do we ask whereby we can receive? Okay, it may go into a couple of messages, but first let us get into the basics of how God answers prayer. Now what's the point in reading a question without knowing the answer? Okay, if you don't know the answer, the question sounds Meaningless to us. So first, before you talk about asking God in prayer for an answer, we need to know first, how does God usually answer prayer? Okay, One of the four ways, Okay, primarily divided into four different ways. First way, the most interesting, enjoyable way is when we ask, we get it immediately. We ask and we get immediately. We know it is God. It is not crisis intervention. We ask and immediately responds. And you know it is 
God. You know it is God. Okay. And you know, all who have been children are still children. They know sometimes when they go to their parents and ask, there are no questions. Take. Take it. No questions. What, why, where, when, nothing is. Just take it. You get it immediately. Get it immediately. In the same way with God also, there are times when you ask, you get it immediately. Immediate answers. Certain. There's no waiting period for it. Immediately you get it. Okay, that's the most beautiful way. Okay, we, later we'll find out how do we get to that point. Okay. Second, you ask God for something and you get a better answer. You ask God for a pencil, you get a pen. That's if your teacher allows a pen in the class, it's a better answer. Okay, you ask God for something and you get a better answer. Actually, we ask God this, something say A, and the Holy Spirit says, Father, this is actually what he needs, B. So you ask for a trouser, you get a shirt too. That's what Ephesians 3.20 means. 3.20, sorry, 3 and 2.0, not 17.18. That will be next. Three. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Power works. Above anything. You just think for a moment, Hannah's prayer in Shiloh, when her prayer was answered. Lord, if you touch my womb, you give me a son, I will give this son over to you. Even when she was offering her son to God, what would have been the mother's greatest dream? He might become a Levite or a Nazarite. He might become one of the priests in the temple among the many thousands. Beyond that, could she imagine? But I am giving it to you, Lord, my son, to serve you. That's a prayer. But what was the answer? What was God's answer? God says, I look at you, you're asking. You're going to touch me? Give me your son. I will give my son back to you. Let him serve you. That's your asking. He says, he will serve me. But not the way you think. It is Beyond what you can ask or think. He'll be a judge. He'll be a prophet. He will be a priest. And he will anoint the first two kings of Israel. And he will speak like me. His words will not fall to the ground. It will be scripture. Would you have ever dreamt that would be the answer to her prayer? So we have a God who answers much more than we can ask. Often that's how God is. Because he knows we are like babies. We do not really appreciate the gifts of God. Okay. The problem is God is not answering. The problem is, do we really see how he is answering? Let me ask, let's ask any of the little children who were in the church today, who have gone to the baby class in Sunday school. You show a baby a balloon and a 2,000 rupees note. What do you think the baby will go for? the balloon. If you offer an adult a 2,000 rupee note and a balloon, what do you think the adult will go for? Free to choose. Yeah, a 2,000 rupee note. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. 
and 18. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give it to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his glory, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in these saints. He says, I wish your eyes were open. He says, when God is dangling a 2,000 rupee note, you are going after the balloons. God says, that our eyes were really open to eternal things. Things which have eternal value. Lasting value. If only, Paul says, God opened our eyes, how drastically our prayers would change. And how we look at our prayers are actually answered and they are answered much better than we actually asked for. This is how Jesus puts in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures, treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But what do we ask for? We ask for treasures on earth. We don't consider what is really valuable in earth. In heaven. So all our prayers are connected with the flesh. Like I said, when, if you were to take all your gold, Indians have a lot of gold, to heaven, can you imagine the sight? You carry all your gold and go to heaven and you find everybody walking on the streets of gold? You look like a total idiot. And you have to take all your jewelry and pearls and jewels and you look, Ayo, every gate is made of a single pearl. And the stones and the walls. You know how God looks at things and says, you know, you, you got your values all mixed up on earth or church. You need to reprioritize your life as to what is really truly valuable. Because he's a God, he will ask and give you much more than you can even think or imagine. And when we get it, if you don't have spiritual insight, we won't value the things of God. Even though our prayers have been answered. This is what Paul, one man says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. This is what he says. What things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. So there's so many things on earth which could have been gained for me. I count it all as loss for Christ. Indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Did we see? Did we see? Loss has gained. Often God gives us a better answer than we ask. His answer has actual value, eternal significance. But unless our eyes are open, we do not see that. We do not see that unless our eyes are open. Look at a couple of examples, okay? Unless we see significance of our prayers. Second Corinthians chapter 12 verses 7 and 8. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. How many times? Three times. Three times he cried out to the Lord, 
deliver me from this oppression. Three times God said, no. My grace is sufficient. But he said, no, you will live with it. I'm not going to heal you in this situation. I'm not going to deliver you in this situation. Now you let me tell you. He understood the significance of that answer. God says you have two choices. I can deliver you. But I also know if I deliver you and you walk in your deliverance of Paul because of the great revelations that has come to you, what will happen when you will exalt yourself above measure? Pride will come into your heart. Yes, you can live oppression-free life on earth, but also pride will come. Eternally, you will lose. You lose your crown. Temporarily, you can choose to suffer and gain eternally. Or... You can choose to gain temporarily and lose eternally. So he said, I'm fine. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. I don't want to lose what is of eternal significance. Are you getting the picture? You see an Old Testament example in Second Kings chapter 20 verses 1 to 6. In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And I said, the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Thus says whom? The Lord. God has said, you shall die and not live. Put your house in order. Wow, can you imagine to get a warning like that? People just die on the spot, no warning, nothing. But here is a man being given warning by God. You're going to die, not immediately, but your death is going to be. Set your house, your life all in order, die in peace and come home. He turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord saying, he turned to the wall. Let's say it's under discourse altogether. You can teach about prayer from this, but that's not what we are looking at. We are looking at this man. Remember me now, O Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened before I had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord and I will add to your days 15 years. How many? 15 years, okay. I heard your prayer. You wept it, I told you, get ready to die, put your house in order, get ready to die. You cried, you prayed bitterly, okay, I'm sending my servant back, I'm taking my words back and adding how many years? 15 years. You know what subsequently happens? Look at that same chapter. Immediately what happens as soon as he is healed. Verse 12 and 13. At that time, Beroda Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard Hezekiah had been sick. Immediately the devil entered into that situation. Hezekiah was attentive to them and showed them all the house of his treasures. He had heard Hezekiah was sick. He probably heard Hezekiah is also healed. He sends a present and a letter from Babylon. The emissary comes. He opens up all the treasure house, the palace, the king's temple, everything. All his armory that was found among his There was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. To whom? To the envoy from Babylon. The same I say, I will come back and ask him, what did you do? What did you do? What have you done? Hezekiah. You know, for what you have done, I'm telling you, the same Babylonians will come back one day and take 
everything from the house of God, including your sons will be taken as captive to Babylon. What have you done? Then read chapter 21 and verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. Who is Manasseh? Hezekiah's son. How many years old was he when he became king? How many years old? How many years did Hezekiah added to his life? 15. So in that 15 years, on the third year of that 15th year, Manasseh was born. When he should have been a dead man and living happily in paradise with Abraham and the rest of the saints, he's alive here because of a prayer and he has created whom? Manasseh. What is written in the Bible about Manasseh? Read the other verses which I gave you. Verse 10 and 11. You read that chapter. And the Lord spoke by his servant the prophet saying, Because Manasseh, the king of Judah, has done this abomination. He has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites. Forget Israelites. He says, the Amorites who lived in this land whom I destroyed, he was more wicked than all the Amorites who were before him and also made Judah sin with his idols. This man was so wicked, Manasseh was so wicked, he put one of his own sons through the fire to a false god. Did you see the answer to prayer? When God sends a word, put your house in order and die. die. Put your house in order, say, Goodbye. If our eyes are not really open to what is of eternal significance, then we will pray fleshly prayers and actually bring judgment upon even the next generation because our eyes are not really open and we do not see the heart of God. And sometimes some of us as parents need to be very careful what we pray for our children. What we pray for our children. Ask God, Lord, is this really what you want for my child? Is this really what you want for my child? Because many of our dreams are very fleshly dreams. Because we don't understand what is of real value and significance in the kingdom of God. Okay? So remember, first prayer we pray, we get it immediately. Second we pray, we get better than what we ask. And third, we pray, the answer may be Delayed. Answer may be delayed. Why? Because with God, timing, hear me clearly, timing is more important than time. More important than time. Timing is more important than time. James chapter 1 verses 2 and 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces Patience. And then, patience, knowing that the testing, okay, patience, when it has done its complete work, you may be complete and lacking nothing. That's words, words four. What is God saying? God says, I some, I heard your prayer. Sometimes, let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete and lacking Nothing. I will make you wait because I'm more interested in your maturity than in answering your prayer immediately. So that we might become really, really patient and we become mature and we become complete because he says you're not ready yet to receive that answer to that prayer. If you want to hear on patience by tonight, I guess uh, the message, the message I preached 
the first meeting in Dubai on Thursday. You will hear on, it's, it, it was on patience. And God says, you are not ready yet. I know, I heard your prayer. And I know what I plans I have for you. But the problem is you are not ready yet. You are in, worried about time. But I am more interested in timing. Abraham and Sarah, how long you have asked for what I promised? I promised you I will give you a son. What I promise is something really great. But the problem is you both are not ready for that answer. You have to wait. The problem is when we are in a hurry and we only see time and not timing, we create Ishmael's. And lots of people get married like that because they are not looking at timing. They are looking at time. Parents also give in to pressure. Oh, my daughter is growing older. I have to get her married. I have to get her married. Get her married. They are not looking at timing. We are looking at so that's why many, many children get married. Children, literally, they have eight, 20 years old, 25 years old, 20, but they have never matured. That's why conflicts in marriages. Why are there so many conflicts in children? What do you happen when you put two children in, two child, two children or three children in one room? Without adult supervision. In two minutes they start fighting. What do you happen when you get immature people married? They start fighting. But why did we get married? Because we are more worried about time than timing. And that's what God says. God says, when I say wait, it's not because I did not hear your prayer. It's because you are not ready. And then when we are in a hurry like Abraham and Sarah and we only see time and not God's timing, what do we create? We create Ishmael's. If you listen to that message, you will hear time works for God. It doesn't work against God. And as God's people, time doesn't work against us. It works for us. Often we miss great things from God because we do not accept God's delay. We do not accept God's delay. We see it as delay, but God says that's my perfect time for you. Lord, I am 26. When will I get married? Really, you want an answer? My timing? Yes. 36, no Lord, I didn't hear right. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Did you really say that Lord? Yes, I said it. Why? Because you are not ready yet. But next year, no, you will be ready only at 36. I know you. I know your growth. You will be ready at 36. Are you willing to wait? Are you getting the picture? God works everything in his time. You know what Martha asked Jesus when he came? Lord, if you were here, my brother would not have been dead. What was she saying in our terms? She is very polite. She is putting in very polite terms. But basically she was saying, why are you late? Why are you late? I sent word to you four days ago when you were sick. You are coming four days late and my brother is why are you late? Jesus is not saying, I am late. He said, I am not late. I am on time. If Jesus had come on Martha's time, Martha and Mary would have seen in a healing. Because Jesus came on God's perfect time, they experienced a resurrection. Now what do you want is God asking? You want a healing or a resurrection? You want a healing of the old body or a resurrection with new life. 
He says, lot of people go with healings as a symbol when God's plan for them was a resurrection. Because we are not willing to wait for God's time. God's time. So sometimes the answer is immediate. Sometimes the answer is better than what we ask. Sometimes it is delayed because he makes all things beautiful in his time. Not our time, not your time, in his time. And the fourth one, sometimes the answer is a flat no. If God says no, does that mean God is not a prayer answering God? Actually, it, it means God is a prayer answer. You got an answer to your prayer. Sometimes immediate answer can be no. No, don't ask me, I'm not going to give it to you. Does that mean his promises are not true? Does that mean God does not answer prayer? I prayed and I got a no. Does that mean God doesn't answer prayer? Does that mean his promises are not true? If I switch this on and it doesn't come back, does that mean there is no power in Ramagunda? Does that mean Thomas Alva Edison was a liar? No. Just because God said no, that doesn't mean God is not a prayer answering God. It also does not mean the promises of God in the word are not true. He simply said no. What do you do when God does not answer your prayer? You ask and you receive not. Why don't we receive when we ask? Fundamental principles within the time we have, we will look at a few. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no way to God, the living God, the only God, other than through Jesus. We are to pray in the name of Jesus. What does it mean? If you are not truly born again, if you are not a child of God, if you try to approach God other than through Jesus, it is a flat no. Your prayers are not even heard. You may pray whatever prayer you want. God will always send one answer. Get saved. Pray Lord I want healing. Get saved. Lord I want. Get saved. Lord get saved. Lord get saved. So Cornelius is a good man. He prays to the living God. God send an answer. Call Peter. Get saved. Then we shall talk later. Rest of the things. Access denied. You know, when you type in, all in the news in the West is about, you know, those who had access and those who did not have access. So who are the culprits? Right? Access denied other than in the name of Jesus. If you have doubts, ask the sons of Skiva. In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, access denied. What does it pray mean to pray in his name? You are a child of God. You can pray in his name because you have his name. 
In Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and 38, when they were crying out. Okay? Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? He said, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. He says, repent. You will receive forgiveness of sins. More than that, you need to what? Be baptized in the name of Jesus. You will receive a name. Because you will be immersed in that name. You will lose your identity and receive a new identity connected with a name. In Matthew 28 and verse 19, Therefore go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Humanly speaking, these three have only one name on earth, which is Jesus. Baptizing them in the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit of name of Jesus is both the same. There are people who fight over it. Let them fight. We can get baptized either way. Okay? Mark 16, verse 16, if you repent, if you believe, you get baptized. He who believes and is baptized, in whose name is he baptized? In the name of Jesus, he is saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Meaning, if you get baptized without believing, it doesn't matter. On that day, you will still be condemned because you did not believe. You just took a shower or a bath or a dip, whatever you want to call it. It's not baptism. It's a dip. It's an immersion. It's a sprinkling, whatever. But you were not baptized in the name of Jesus because you did not believe. So you believe, you get baptized. And then God said, these signs will Follow those who believe. Why? Because they have been given authority in the name of Jesus. Can ask. In my name, they will cast out demons. In my name, they will speak with new tongues. In my name, they will lay hands upon the sick and they will be healed. In my name. In my name. In the name of Jesus. So be very sure when you pray, you want an answer to your prayer. First condition, that you are a child of God. That you can use that name. That's the name of your father. That's the name that has been given to you by somebody. It's not a name that you took on yourself but was given to you because you believed. Second motive. John chapter 14 verse 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name that I will do that the father may be glorified in the son. If you ask anything in my name I will do it. Says so you can ask in my name and I will do it. But what is the motive behind you asking? Is your motive that God should be glorified in Jesus? What is the motive behind? So that it brings him glory? Why is this important? Because the name of Jesus has power. Incredible power. Philippians 2, 9 to 11 talks about that incredible power of that name. It says, therefore God has also highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those who, and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's incredible power in that name. But the problem with that name is that because that name has incredible power, you can suddenly get carried away by that power and use the power of the name for the glory of the self instead of glorifying the Son and the Father. That's the danger. That's an incredible danger that happens in power ministry. Incredible danger. And that's what Matthew 7 
actually Jesus warns about in verses 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but who does the will of my Father in heaven. He who does the will of the Father brings glory to the Father. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have you not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? But what was their end? Done all many wonders in your name. And verse 23, what did Jesus say? Jesus never said your prophecies were false. Your healing was wrong. Your wonders was not of me. Your deliverance, he didn't say that. He says, I never knew, depart from me, you practice lawlessness. Because everything you did in my name was for the glory of the self, not for the glory of the Father. Okay? So be careful when we use the name of Jesus. We ask, and we receive not. It means it needs his approval. He approves when it is for the Father's glory and not self-glory. When you and I pray in his name, it means to pray in his authority. You and I know in this world you can forge people in authority their signatures and seal and present it as if they gave it to you. Right? You can forge. But you can do that in heaven. You'll be caught one day. You'll be caught one day. He says, when I said you can pray in my name, I'm give, authorizing you. I'm authorizing you in my name. For my Father's glory. Be careful. In my name, for my Father's glory. Third, how do I know if I ask, my prayer will be answered? Surrender to the Spirit of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, 18 and Jude one twenty, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. In the Spirit. He says, actually, he says, if you want always an answer to your prayer, surrender yourself to the Spirit of God. Because He's the one who actually prays and knows what to pray for. In Jude 1.20, again scripture says, but you beloved, building yourself upon the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Fact is that most Christians don't even know how to pray in the Holy Spirit. So they pray with understanding, which is sanctioned by the Word of God. Praying with understanding, with the mind. But there is praying in the spirit as opposed to that. That is what Romans 8, 26 says. Likewise, the spirit, the Holy Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. For the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The next verse will say, he prays for us according to the will of the Father. There's a difference with you and I praying with our understanding and the Holy Spirit praying through us without our understanding. He prays for us according to the will of God. It means he's the one who guides. He's the one who puts power in our prayers. He does it instead of us. But he does it together with us. He does not do it apart from us. We can't do it without him. And he won't do it without us. We can't do without him. And he won't do it without us. 
That's what 1 John 5, 14 and 15 gives us. Absolute confidence. This is the confidence we have in him. That if he asks anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Absolute confidence in the spirit. Because we know we have prayed in the spirit. And the spirit has interceded through us according to the will of God for us. And the answer is yes. Is yes. So here is the very spirit of God humbling himself and is willing to be a prayer partner with us. Can you imagine that? The spirit of God, the very spirit of God who created everything is willing to be a prayer partner with every Christian. If you are willing, he says, I will use you and I will pray through you and for you according to the will of the Father. And what does Hebrews 7, 24 and 25 say? And he, because he continues forever, that is Jesus, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he also is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. Can you imagine? Here is the Holy Spirit coming, and he's coming into you and to me, and says, will you surrender? Shall we pray together? Will you just let go? Can I pray through you in the Spirit? And he prays through the Spirit. The prayer reaches the throne room of grace. The Son takes over that prayer from the Spirit, starts interceding before the Father according to the prayer, and the Father says, it's done. In one line, man, Spirit, Son, Father. One line. God says, it's done. He says, that's what prayer is. That's what prayer is. One line. When man, the triune God, comes in order, God says, that's how it should be. And he can be absolutely, absolutely sure. Absolutely sure. God says, I will answer you. Because our understanding, our soul has limits to which it can know God. But the spirit has no limits. Therefore, Paul will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14 and 15, If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. If I pray in tongues or in a tongue, I pray, but my mind doesn't understand what I am praying in my spirit. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with understanding. will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with understanding. He says, I will pray with understanding. But there are a lot of things I understand and I pray accordingly. But there are a lot of things I don't understand and I allow the Spirit to take over and pray through me. And in verse 18, what is his conclusion? I thank God I speak with tongues more than all of you. If you ask Paul, what is the success of your ministry? Why did God use you so much? He says, this is the reason I surrendered my spirit to the spirit of God and always prayed in the spirit according to the will of the Father. And therefore he used me. And I surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Pray in the spirit. Remember always the Holy Spirit prays according to the will of God for the child of God. So, actually, if you pray in your mind for what is not the will of God, and after that you start praying in the spirit, the Holy Spirit will correct your understanding prayer and say, Father, don't give it to him, that's not what he needs. That's not what he needs. Don't give it to him. He doesn't need that. How do you explain a language we understand? You go to your father and ask, Tommy goes and asks his father, can I have ice cream? Father says, no. Take an apple instead. I asked for an ice cream. I got an apple, yes. Because I know tomorrow you will start saying my stomach, stomach hurts. So an apple a day keeps the doctor. I know what you need. You are asking what you want. 
I know what you need. So many of us have no clue. We prayed for mercy and God gave us grace. I'm talking about wives. Lord, can I have mercy? God says no. He didn't say no. In the understanding we said, Lord, I'm fasting and praying for mercy, mercy, mercy. And then you start praying in the spirit and the Holy Spirit says, Lord, never give him mercy. They will never get a law. Give him grace. Give him grace, Lord. Give him grace. That's the one right for him. And you end up with grace. And you're saying, what is this happening? God says, you see, my plan for you was eternal. Grace will humble you. Grace is good for you because grace will keep you humble. Mercy and you would have been always fighting. Both of you would have ended up nowhere. Instead, I had a plan for you. It was eternal. So when you ask for mercy, I gave you misgrace. Okay, that is why it's good to pray in the spirit and get answered. But the question is this. Do you want the will of God in your life? Ask this question. Simple question. Probably the most important question you'll hear today. Do you really want the will of God in your life? My question is, if you do not want the will of God in your life, then why do you pray? Why do you pray? Every non-Christian who prays are not praying for the will of God. They pray, but they're not praying for the will of God. Not even their own God. But you, child of God, if you don't want the will of God in your life, why should you pray? Why do you pray? Prayer is not where you bend God to fulfill your will. Prayer is the way by which you find the will of God and surrender to it. One of the reasons non-believers pray a lot is because they are trying to bend God's will. Pray? They pray a lot. Non-believers pray a lot. But if you look at all the prayers, it is trying to bend God to get something which they want. Bang! Remember, you know, all the Amitabh movies when you walked in the wicked old days? If you didn't get an answer, bang! The bell at the temple. If you got an answer, bang, 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 bang. It has got nothing to do with God. It has got to do with your will. I want this, and if I don't get it, this is my response. Christians also act like that. And one of the reasons, honestly, Christians are not fools. They pray very little because they are not interested in God's will. After praying, many Christians have become wise. They have learned you cannot bend the living God to do your will. So they stop praying. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask, but you do not receive because you want to spend it on your will, on your pleasures. This is how a man of God put it. Genuine prayer, that prayer that gets to heaven, is a prayer that starts in heaven. Genuine prayer that gets to heaven is a prayer that starts in heaven. You just completed the circle. It started in heaven, ended up in heaven, in between there was one dot called you, and you completed it. It started with the Spirit of God, heart of God, the Spirit of God, searched it, found it, prayed through you, and it reached heaven. That's what prayer is. It is not bending God to do your or my will. And the will of God only comes by surrender. Genuine prayer is surrender. Genuine prayer is surrender. That's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. Surrender of your bodies. 
surrender of your mind. Surrender. Both in prayer and in the word. And God will all, where there is a surrender of body and mind, God's will is always good, acceptable and perfect. You'll always find God's will is good. Prayer is not some method by which man on earth gets his will done on earth. But prayer is the method when God in heaven gets his will done on earth. That is what James will say in chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly, it should not. Will we pray? Will we pray? Which pastor will pray? Lord, let no one in my congregation get blessed for the next three years. Let them go through the rough times until they repent and come on their knees before God, O oh Lord. Let no one be blessed. And if I, my tithes and my offerings and my partaking, everything is affected by that, so be it. I will also starve with them. But let no one be blessed until they repent. That's the will of God. A man praying according to the will of God. Because when the rain stopped, he also did not have water. He also did not have provision. And God had to use a raven to feed him and a poor widow to feed him. Simply because the very prayer he prayed was the prayer of God's will for his people. It affected the people. It affected him. Because the purpose of God was redemption, not their comfort. God is not interested in our comfort. Yes, He is, but that's not His primary purpose. Not our happiness, that is not our primary purpose. He is, or our success, that is not His primary purpose. God's primary purpose in this life is our redemption and our redemption to the uttermost. And that's what God is talking about. Is your mind, body surrendered? Is your mind surrendered? Elijah was a man just like us, but he was a man who was surrendered. In his body and his mind to the will of God. He said it will not pray. It not pray. And then God's will was accomplished. There was repentance on Mount Carmel. Sin was destroyed in the terms of the prophets of Baal and all the people repented. God says now you pray again. You pray again. God could have sent the rain. He said no I am not going to send the rain. I have a dot in this circle. The dot is you Elijah. Until you pray it won't rain again. You pray. So he goes back up to the mountain, gets on his knees and praying again and rain comes. That's how the will of God is enforced on earth through the prayers of his people. Overruling all the prayers of every man and woman in Israel. From the king down to every man and every woman, every prophet of Baal, every prophet of every God, including the God of Israel. Everyone who prayed God overruled all the prayers and said, I will not listen to anybody's prayers except the prayer of Elijah. He prayed no rain, no rain. He prays for rain, it will come back. That's it. That's what God is talking about. He said, I locked up heavens because one man prayed according to my will. He knew what my will was. That's what Second Kings 17 and verse 1 says. From that prayer, he hears from God and he will come there no, 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 no. First Kings, first It's It's not 17, 19, no? Or 17, where Elijah will stand before King Ahab. We know that very well. No, we don't have to go there unless you... 
Got it? Yeah. First uh, Kings. No. Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain. No dew, no rain. You need to understand what he says. For Israel they understood dew and rain for them in their language were symbols of the Holy Spirit. He said, I shall send dew in its season and rain on its season. Both were symbols of the Holy Spirit. And what he is saying is that the Spirit of God will not move over Israel again until the word of the Lord comes from my mouth. God says, I am locking myself according to the word of this man who surrendered to my will. Whew! Think of that. And he says, he was a man just like us. Just like us. Understand the power of prayer once you understand the will of God. Will of God. You hear from God something that's burst in the heart of God. It comes to man and man speaks that out because prayer doesn't originate in you. Prayer originates in heaven. Because much of our prayer time should be spent aligning our minds to the will of God. And I believe God is going to raise up people who will pray like Elijah and Moses and Joshua before the end comes. And things will happen. Things will be locked up. Okay. That's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. Okay. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. What is this offering of bodies? Two, three, four things we can talk about. One, it involves fasting. Involves Fasting. Second involves separation. Third it involves separating yourself to the word of God. Why? Because God says my words are spirit. Why are all these things part of offering your body? Because fasting weakens the flesh. Weakens the flesh. The flesh is, our desires we ask of God is to indulge in our flesh. If you fast for seven days, eight days, you see your desires have changed. Your prayers change because your desires change. Separation is mandatory because it drowns the voices of the world. If you don't watch TV and you don't read a single magazine or a newspaper for two months, six months, seven months, eight months, go to work and come back without even looking at the posters and hoardings on both sides, you will see suddenly your mind is being reshaped according to the word of God and not according to the voices of the world. It's that simple. That's how the Tishbite comes out. He suddenly appears. Where do you think the Tishbite was? He was in the wilderness somewhere for years together, absolutely separated from the voices of the world. He must have been fasting, eating one meal a day, just like John the Baptist. Here's very clearly, will is aligned to the will of God, sees and thinks like God, steps forward and says, I who stand before the living God is standing before you, Ahab, until the word of the Lord comes from my mouth. No dew, no rain. Bye. Gone. He doesn't even wait there. Turns eastward and goes. That's why fasting is needed, separation is needed. Without these two, you can do whatever you want. It will be of very little effect. Very little effect. Very little effect. Because after hearing all this, I'm telling you honestly, even in this church, after now it will be nine years, over tenth year is beginning. 
in Jude. As soon as service is over, fellowship will be about food and clothes. Talking, conversation. What to eat, what to wear, what to eat, what to drink. The things Jesus said, don't worry. We don't worry, we are excited. There is no separation. There is no separation from this world. Are you telling me, pastor, that I cannot ask for my needs? No, I am not saying that. God said ask for your needs. You can ask for your personal needs. But you cannot ask for your selfish needs. You cannot ask for your selfish needs. James 4.3, that's what 4.3 says. You ask, but you do not receive. Because you ask, amiss, which means you ask wrongly. Why? That you may spend it on your pleasures. Spend it on your pleasures. You ask for a wife. Why do you ask for a wife? It's not, there's no problem in asking for a wife. Every man should ask for a wife because God said it's not good for a man to be alone. So it's good for a man to ask for a wife and a woman to ask for a husband. But let me ask you, why did you ask for that particular one to be wife? No, it's good to be particular because God is like specifics. But why did you pick that one? Give me the reasons God says. Give me the reason you want A and you reject B. Give me the answer. You see, I'm not telling you tell me. I'm telling you tell God. Because you can't fool God. Lord, I want A because she is. God says, don't fool me. I know what she is. You also know what she is. She's a prayerful. Come on. She does hardly prayers. Don't don't tell me that. Don't bring that. You can tell that to your pastor. Don't tell me that. Okay. Oh, she knows her word. No, she doesn't know word at all. Don't try that with me. Okay. Lord, she's so meek. Come on. She's not meek. Tell me the real reason. Lord, the real reason is she's very good looking the worldly way. If she walks around me, all the guys around will envy me. That's the real reason. I said, that's why I said no. I know why you want her because you can indulge in your flesh. That's the reason. Oh, when she walks holding my hand, everyone will say, Wow, Macha, you are a lucky fellow, Yar. <laughs> Tell me the real reason, son. And then we shall have a discussion whether you need a wife or not. See, it's good to be honest with God. It's good to have dialogues with God. No? Sure it is the will of God. Are you sure it is the will of God? That's Isaac. Isaac is a man, a man like Isaac who is surrendered to his father on the altar, allows his father to tie him up, lift the knife. Do you think he will take a decision concerning is a wife without the will of his father in question? He said, Papa, I know you well. I know how much you love God. I saw on Mount Moriah your love for God. If you want me to marry, you pick the wife. I could go wrong. I know I love God, but I know you love God more. I know I hear from God, but I know you hear better from me. You pick me a wife for me according to God's plan and purpose for me. Forty years he waited. Safeguard is Psalm 37, verse 4. 
What is it? Read it loudly, clearly, because I want you to read it along with me. Delight in the Lord, and He shall give you the... Did you read it correctly? But that's not how we actually read it in our heart. Give me the desires of my heart, Lord, and I will delight in you. That's not what God said, right? No, we read it, but we still don't get it. We read it ulta. What is that? Lord, if you give me the desires of my heart, I will really delight in you. God says no. If you delight in me, your desires will change. And I will give you the desires of your heart which are now aligned with my desires for you. That is why worship is key. That is why worship is key. Often people quote Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Well, I am asking, I am seeking, I am knocking and I am not getting anything. But you know, you heard Pastor Vijay say it many times. A text without a context is a pretext. So before you zoom on to Matthew 7, 7, you need to read Matthew 6, 33. That is the context. But seek ye first. Kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then you ask and you will receive. You seek. You will find. You knock. It will be open. Don't separate verses. He said, don't do that. Okay. Are we seeking His kingdom? First. Are we seeking His righteousness? First. Are we delighting in God? First. But pastor, I am praying for healing. Is it wrong? Absolutely not. He's a God who heals. Even before he gave them one commandment in Exodus 20, in Exodus 15, 26, a set of people to whom no law was given, he told, I am the Lord that healeth thee, and the Lord who heals all your diseases. Psalm 3, verse 6, he says, I am God who heals all your diseases. Psalm 107, verse 20, he said, I am the God who heals. I sent forth my word and healed your diseases. He said, there's nothing wrong in asking for healing. Because he's a God who heals. But let me ask you this question. Even as you seek healing, are you pursuing righteousness? As much as you pursue healing? Or are you pursuing a healing without first seeking his righteousness? Why? Because Hezekiah sought a healing without seeking and putting the kingdom first. That's why he created that damage later. Why? He put his healing ahead of God's righteousness. Are you seeking his righteousness? Let me ask you this question. You are not well. You've got a chronic illness. If God heals you, can you honestly guarantee with this new health you will serve God better? You don't have much money. If God honestly prospers you, looking at your financial record of the past five years of your faith, can you honestly tell God that if you prosper me, I will give you more? Looking at your ill health in which you have walked this past five years with God, can you honestly tell God if you heal me more, give me more strength, I can honestly serve you better because look at my past record. Can you actually say? Or... Our actual record says 
Even with my weakness and in health, I was actually indulging in the flesh. And even with that little money, I was spending it on myself. And then you are asking, God says, you ask, but you ask amiss. I want to give you. I want to heal you. I want to prosper you. I want to. And I tested you, he says. Do you remember that day when you felt so good? You said, oh boy, I could walk again after so many days. And you went shopping. Though you knew there was church. Do you remember that out of the blue, this uncle came to your house and you had no money and gave you 5,000 rupees. You went out shopping. Spend it all in one day. I was testing you. Do you know? That's what God is saying. Do we pursue? David sought a healing for his son. But he put God's righteousness and his kingdom ahead of his son's healing. Because when his son died, he was not upset. He went, he rose, we know the whole nine yards. He went, he worshipped, he came back and continued serving God. Therefore, what did God do? God took one son and gave him another which is called Solomon. Because he said, you pursued my kingdom and my righteousness. So, you asked for healing for this son. I'm not going to heal him. I'm going to kill him. But I'm going to give you better than what you asked. I'm going to give you another son who shall build my temple, who shall be a man of peace, who will build me my house. Why? Therefore, Hezekiah burst a Manasseh while David burst a Solomon. Both prayed. Both prayed. One received a healing. The other did not receive a healing. One was not pursuing righteousness and received a healing. The other pursued righteousness and received a no for his answer. But one burst a Manasseh. Other burst a Solomon. Because he says, are you pursuing righteousness? Is that your primary context in which you ask everything? Lord, your kingdom, your righteousness is what I am looking for best. That's my primary concern. Now read Malachi 4.2. To you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise. With what? Healing in his wings. You who fear my name, the very son of righteousness shall arise with healing under his wings. And how will you go out? You will go out like calves. That have been fed in these stalls. He said, that's how you will go. That's a real healing, he says. That's a healing that doesn't destroy you. Because you wanted healing. But you wanted righteousness more than healing. You put righteousness first and sought my healing. So therefore, what did I do? This righteousness increased in your life. But along with righteousness, what was part of the portion? Healing was part of it. Often our prayers... A carnal, couched in very spiritual terms. Only God can see through it. I can't see through it. You can't see through it. Our prayers, only God can see through it. In Luke chapter 12, there is an incident in 13 to 15. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Saying, Lord, you have so much influence on all these people. I think you will, my brother also will listen to you. Please tell him to divide the inheritance with me. He said, man, who made me a judge and arbiter over you? And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. 
Now let me ask you this question. If somebody comes to me or to you and says, can you please come and talk to my family and say, you know, when you divide the property, let me also get the equal share. But if I were to say that, would you know that I am covetous? That though what I am asking seems very legitimate, you don't see my heart, you only see my legitimate request, but God says, you know what, that fellow is a covetous fellow. He saw through him immediately. What he's asking is a very legitimate law. If my father is dead, the property is there, ask my brother to divide it with me. On paper it looks perfect, but we don't see what is behind the paper. He sees. He sees. That's why on paper our prayers may sound very well. Very good, Lord. It's injustice. I want justice. God says, I will tell you what justice is in your case. You are a very covetous fellow. Getting the picture? Ask prayers. Do you remember Matthew 20? When the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons kneeling down asking something from him. What a, what a humble, prayerful lady. Kneeling and asking something from Jesus. He said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant me Lord, that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. What is that? One on your right, one on your left in your kingdom. Verse 22. And Jesus answered, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am able to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. We are able. Not a humble thing. We are able, of course. You tell me whatever test I will pass it, but I want that this seat and that's it for my sons. Jesus will say, that's not for me to decide. Because the end of age will be set only another day. How many really passed the test? God says, only God knows. And how many did better than the apostles? God will say, there will be many. So how can I say before the race begins you to sit on the right and left? Do we ever realize as parents some of the requests we have made to God for our children can be absolutely carnal and fleshly and outside the will of God? Verse 24 and when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. They were also angry. Hey, I also want to sit on the right. And Jesus called to them himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever decides to be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever decides to be first among you, let him be your slave. What is God saying? Simple thing which will show Dood ka dood, pani ka pani of our prayer. In Hindi we say that. Dood ka dood, pani ka pani. He will know. He says, you are asking something from me. What do you want it? Do you want it to serve or to use it for yourself? Because the son of man himself came to serve and not to be served. What do you want a job for? You want a job. Okay, I will give you a job. Do you want to serve you want more money. Do you want your money to be of use for the kingdom and the king for service? You want power. Do you want power to serve? That's a simple question God asks. 
What do you want it for? We need to start living babyhood and childhood and move to maturity even in prayer. What do you want it for? Lord, I want my son to be first in college. For what? For what? No, I want him to do the civils also. And? And? To be the most corrupt collector in city? Does he have the integrity to stand like some of the few officers in Indian history have done who have in their entire career was posted every six months because they wouldn't bend to the whims of their political masters and stood, took a stand for righteousness. Are you willing? Have you trained your son for that? No. But I want him to be IAS. For what? For what? Or are you genuine and say, Lord, you know what? I know my son. I see him. All I pray is, Lord, make him a teacher. Because there he cannot cheat, he cannot lie, he cannot steal, and he will be do some good to the students. Just make him a simple teacher, that too in a primary school, not even junior high. Because I see him, and this is what I want for my son. Are we honest? There's a man. People who prayed in the Bible like that, Lord, don't make me poor, that I will steal. Don't make me rich, then I will not be able, you will not be able to handle me. So they just give me enough and a little more. Enough for me and a little more to give to others. That's enough. Because I know myself very well. That's why God says, pray in my name. Pray in the spirit. Pray in my will. Can we? Can we? Think. Because one day we'll all stand before God and we'll have to give an answer for our prayers also. So it's good to change prayers now so that when we stand before God, we'll say, Lord, yes, I know I prayed wrong, but I changed it to Lord. I'm surrendering now to your spirit, Lord. Pray through me. I will pray less with understanding and more in the spirit because I have learned after hearing message after message that I have no understanding. What is that I don't have? I don't have spiritual understanding. So Lord, I have decided to cut down my prayer of understanding and pray in the spirit. Because everywhere I go, everywhere I go, after the meeting is over, people come and say, Pastor, will you pray? What do you want me to pray for? Why do you think Jesus asked everyone who came to him? What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Lord, you can make me clean. Okay. Lord, can I have my sight? Okay. Lord, my daughter is not well. Okay. Lord, my servant is not well. Okay. Lord, make us clean. He says, okay, go to the priest. Ten of them went. One came back because he wanted something more than a healing. Therefore, he came back. Do we seek or do we make excuses? Have to be serious with God. Fourth month here. 
real, really serious with God in our prayer life. Things are going to be like UP and all. If things, God doesn't change the, 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 the way this nation is going, everything is going to change. Don't get bothered and start praying, Lord, UP, Jharkhand are all banning the meat. Lord, please, Lord, I love meat. That is not prayer. More people are more worried about that and getting agitated over it that you cannot eat beef anymore. How does it matter? That is not the issue. The issue is not me. The issue is the agenda behind it. And it is going to sweep this nation. State after state will fall to that agenda. And we, the Christians, not the Muslims, we, the Christians, are the soft targets. Soft targets. Why? Because they know we don't retaliate like them. We are soft targets. And the problem is, we are soft targets, but we are very strong, if you know the truth. Because God says, when you are weak, you are strong. But the problem is, it is not, it, we are not only soft targets, we are powerless targets. Because we do not know our God. Our God will perform His things only in certain ways. He doesn't change His ways. And if the church doesn't change its ways, God won't move for that church. It doesn't matter what your persecution is. He won't change. He says, you need to change to my will. And then these things don't matter. Things don't matter. It doesn't matter. Your very chains, your very chains will start ringing the gospel across the nation, he says. That's what Paul says. I thank God even for this change. He said, I thank God for this change. He says, because of this change, he says, Caesar's own royal guard have Bible studies now. What is he talking about? He says, every eight hours I am chained to a Roman soldier. He gets the gospel. Next eight hour, another one, he gets the gospel. Next eight hour, another comes, he gets the gospel. He says, during the years of my imprisonment, every Roman soldier of the Caesarean guard has heard the gospel and they are saved. They are meeting together. He says, because of this change, the furtherance of the gospel, because I know the power of my God and the power of the gospel. But do we know? Do we know? That's what I've been doing all these weeks, everywhere telling the pastors, we do not fear. We do not fear because it is written, they who know their God will do great exploits. Otherwise we'll start looking like them. Numbers, numbers, numbers. Because there is great strength in numbers. We don't need numbers. We don't need numbers. That's exactly what this Bible teaches. You don't need numbers. One man who is aligned to the will of God can shut up heavens. He will stop the rains, he will stop the sun, he will stop the moon, he will split the Red Sea, he will part waters, he will rain manna, he will do everything for one man who has aligned his heart, his body, his mind, his soul to the will of God. He says, will you be that man? Will you be that woman of God in prayer? Will you align your body and mind? Because he says, greater things than these you shall do. I know in my prayer closet what I have heard from God. He said, I will use people where I will do with these nations exactly what I did with Moses in, in Egypt. My people will go to villages and towns and will say, for three days there will be darkness in this village and not even a dog will bark against a child of God until you see the light of God. Nothing will move in this village. He says, I will anoint my servants with power and they will go and speak on my behalf. But before that, they need to be servants of God first, not servants of the flesh. 
We do not fear man. We do not fear powers of darkness either. But God says, prayer is not bending God to do your will. Prayer is by which I know what is the will of God for me. There, we surrender our bodies, our appetites, our desires, and we put it all aside and say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. If you are slave to something that comes in a bottle, how much can God use you? All he needs is to shake the bottle. You're gone. You're gone. You're gone. That's what God is talking about. Young men, young women, older men, older women, this is the hour. This is the hour. It's going to get tougher and tougher and tougher. People all thought, oh, when Trump, Trump wins, it's going to be better. No, it's going to be worse. Why? Powers of darkness are going to be awakened. They're going to come. What never happened in U.S. history is happening now. All the powers of darkness are out and up. You are not able to move to your left or to the right. Tonight we will hear about GTLC and Christian education. You will hear why it's a privilege we still have. Not in Europe anymore. The Christian nations in Germany. If you homeschool your child, the police will come, the social worker will come, arrest your child and take it. You never see your child again. You have no authority over what you teach your child anymore in Christian Europe. We still have freedom. What we can teach our children. Come tonight. We'll talk about education. What do you want for your children? You want them to succeed in the world? Then send them to the world. And then don't cry later when the world takes them. Because you prepared them for the world. Fed them for the world. And got them ready for the world. And when the time came, the world took them. Now repent. Cry out for mercy. Whose children are older. But those your children are... A small babies, get it right. Remember, children don't belong to us, they belong to God. That's why God says, align your will to my will. Because when the day of evil comes, you should be able to stand. Able to stand. And not buckle under pressure. Under pressure. Father, we just thank you. Thank you, thank you for your faithfulness. You are faithful and you were obedient unto death even at death on the cross. Father, this is a gospel that calls us to obedience. The sign of our love for you is our obedience to your commands. Teach us to obey you, Lord. Even more this fourth month. As we partake of the elements of your body and your blood, I pray it will bring healing. It will bring strength. It will bring, our lives will bring glory to your name. Glory to your name, Lord. Help us to walk in accordance to your will for each one of us. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray.
before we close from Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7 and then we close Jesus who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear every day of his life Jesus prayed one prayer Every day of his life, his father answered that prayer. That prayer was, God, let me not fall in my walk or fail in my work towards you. That was his prayer. Lord, let me not fall. Let me not, O Lord, sin against you. Let me not fail in my service to you. Let me be always a servant who obeys your will. That was the prayer which his father answered from the beginning till the end. Therefore, he always knew what was the will of the Father. When it comes to the feeding of the 5,000, he asks them, Philip and Andrew, he asks them, let's feed them. And scripture says, he already knew what he was going to do. Because the will of his Father was not hidden to him. When they sent word to him that Lazarus was ill, he said, no, he will not die. This is for the Father's glory. He already knew it was not going to end up with a healing, but with a resurrection. Even before the event had happened, he knew the will of God and the purpose of God in his life. Because of this one reason of his prayer. His prayer was not for anything material, which is not bad. It's not for anything physical, which was not bad. It is not bad. His prayer was always, his father, help me not to fail you. Help me not to sin against you. That was his prayer. Therefore, scripture says, he was heard because of his godly fear. Change our prayers this year, this month. Start changing our prayers. Say, Lord, I want to pray like my Savior. I want to pray like my Savior, Lord. I don't want to fall. I don't want to fail you. 
I want to walk with him. I want to walk with you. That's the call of God. That's the kind of God God wants to raise up in the last generation. People who will walk with him once again. And you see, that's the primary purpose of salvation. Two weeks time we'll be celebrating Resurrection Sunday. Why did he come? Why did he die? Why did he rise again? So that God will have a people who will worship him, will walk with him and will serve him. It's always him in the center. Not us. For prayers are ultimately serving ourselves. Our walk is ultimately serving ourselves and our work is ultimately serving ourselves. We have understood nothing of Christ. We have understood nothing of Christ. God does not exist to serve man. But you and I exist to serve God. That's the purpose of our existence. Shall we rise? Shall we pray? Father, this first Sunday of this fourth month, we come to you as a people. We thank you, Father, for your faithfulness, for your goodness. You have brought us thus far. But there is so much more to go, O Lord. Because your word says you are able to save to the uttermost those who come to you. That you live forever making intercession for the saints. And your prayer and your intercession before the Father for the saints is our salvation. That we are saved and saved and saved from this world, from our flesh, from ourselves. That you will have a peculiar people. A people who are sold out to God and God alone. So that when we go into our offices, our colleges, our schools, we will be a peculiar people. They will know whom we belong to. They may mock us. They may scorn us. They may laugh at us. They may ridicule us. But Father, deep inside, they will also know. It's your life in us that is speaking to them. Help us, Father, to be a true testimony in these last days. Let our prayer be your prayer. Let our time we spend alone in our prayer closet, in meditation and in prayer, define our lives outside. And I pray... Father, that your people who are in this hall today and those who are here over the net over the days, your people will take it as a challenge, O Lord, to sit at your feet. Every spare moment they get. And they will know the time is not against them. Time is for them. Because we have a God who is for us, not against us. As we go into a new month, we need you, Lord. Without you, we can do absolutely nothing. We need your blessing. We need your favor. We need you to lift up your face and look upon us. Make your face shine upon us. Make you keep us. In ourselves, we do not have the power to keep ourselves to you, Lord. We need your power, your spirit to keep us close to you. We need your spirit to cause us to walk in your ways. And we give you absolute authority, Spirit of God. We need your Spirit to circumcise our hearts that we might love you with all our heart, with all our mind, our soul. Spirit of God, we give you control, O God. 
from the youngest to the oldest i pray lord that it as this will be their prayer this year that we might love you all our heart all our mind with all our strength truly be able to sing from our heart cross before me world behind me thank you father thank you thank you thank you lord for bringing us thus far take us the rest of the way to lord we put our trust in you and in your faithfulness in your goodness in your kindness in your mercy and in the fact that you delight in us your children thank you thank you father let there be healing in bodies that are infirm let there be peace in minds that are anxious and let there be rest in every soul let them know lord you are in absolute control over the lives of your children maranatha lord come lord jesus thank you thank you thank you father now we lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name we bless your holy name we bless your holy name Jesus name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen.